one of my favorite memories was of my dad taking us camping. And uh, sometimes that was just our family, me and him. Uh, sometimes it was through Boy Scouts, did that for a couple years. Um, sometimes it's through church events and stuff like that. But there was one common theme every time, and it's that um, you couldn't peel me away from the, the campfire. <laughs> so if there were like other activities going on, come on, let's go play beanbags. And I'm like, I'm good. This fire is just I can't, like, I, I'm a pyro, like, I, and I've been a pyro ever since. I, if I'm sitting around a campfire, I can't stop. So there's something about, like, the flames, you know, and, and then if it's, uh, you know, July 4th, there's a certain element of fun to those Roman candles that you get to kind of, like, control the fire and point it in any direction that you really want to. But for something in me, there's, there's, um, there's something about a, a fire. And uh, this last uh, week been kind of working in the backyard a little bit, trimming some stuff back and pulling weeds and stuff like that. And, um, and the boys were playing while I was picking weeds and they were trying to help. So Kipton brought out his little like um, kindergarten uh, scissors and he wanted to help so badly. And he was these, so many guys, some of these weeds are like, you know, this, this big, they're like trees, you know? And he's like, I don't know why it's not cutting. I'm like, why don't you just, you know, like, but it was sweet. It was cool. But it was, um, we were, we were, I kind of got done, and I thought, well, this is a stopping point for the, the, the evening. And, and so I, I started to throw some of the stuff that had been picked a while ago and had been dried out into the fire pit and, uh, because our boys love a fire. And they're like, well, can we you know, roast marshmallows? And I'm like, I don't know you want to roast marshmallows on this. It's kind of gross weed stuff. Like, but um, they all set their chairs, and you could see them. They, they've got my DNA inside of them. I set their chairs plenty back. And I turn around and go get some stuff, and somehow, like, they all, like, crept up a little closer, you know? And I'm like, all right, guys, back up, back up, back up. And so um, Kipton, my, my seven-year-old, who is uh, the firstborn, um, he's the rule follower, but he's also the rule enforcer for his younger brothers. Uh, it's, it's kind of fun because he, um, he, he gets to kind of embrace a little bit of authority, but sometimes he takes a little bit too far. So, so he'll say, well, I'm the one that gets to help you with the fire. So he'll walk up real close to it, not realizing how like dangerous fire really is. And I'm like, no, 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 so I need you to step back or whatever. And, and it just seemed like time after time after time, this is part of parenting, um, but time after time, I just kind of had to remind him like, fire's dangerous and I need you to trust my words. <laughs> and he said, well, I mean, I'm going to help you. I, and so he takes his little, he's like, there's a little one sticking out of the fire pit. I, I've got my scissors. I can just cut it. And it can, you know, I'm like, trust me, don't go near the fire. You know, of course, that's my, what my dad probably dealt with when it was me, you know, and, and some of you probably know that if you, you know, are as pyromaniac as I am. But um, I, I found that my son had a little bit of trouble trusting me and my words. And I kept having to just like, <laughs> I would tell him and tell him and tell him. And then I would have to get down in his face, just like real close and be like, uh, my instructions are good. I promise you. My instructions are, are not to harm you or not to keep you from having fun. Um, my, my, my instructions are good. And I kept thinking like, man, I wonder how our Heavenly Father, you know, sometimes gets in our, in our grill sometimes and says, I just need you to trust me. It's going to be all right. I don't need you to fix it. Um, my seven-year-old is a fixer. He um, will we'll see something that, that needs addressing. So, like, he's got this um, desk. He, for whatever we, you know, this, I don't know if this sounds weird to you, but, man, we got him a desk for his seventh birthday, and that was the world to him. It was, like, his little, like, holy of holies, where, like, he can keep all his stuff, and it's kind of in the corner of our little family room there, and, and, uh, and, and so when his brothers go over there, it's, like, not a good situation. And so we'll say, uh, 
Cohen, you know, which is three. Three is just so difficult. Um, They say terrible too. That's a lie in our house. Like three is where the real trouble's at. And, um, And so Cohen will go over there and he's got this like mischief in his eyes where he'll go and he knows he's doing something bad. And you'll see like that little, like he's the baby of the family and he goes and grabs something. And then he does this kind of like Macaulay Culkin, like, smile, like, he's, he's like, and then he bolts. Like, he'll grab something off the desk, and then he'll bolt. And, uh, and so we, Christy and I, will step in as the parents, and we'll say, like, Cohen, that's not okay. Um, but Cohen puts on his, like, police cap, and he is off to the races. He's like, you can't do that! And then it's like, there's a pounding, and then both boys are crying, and I have to look at my son, and I say, we were handling it. I'm your dad. I love you. I promise my instructions are good. Let me handle it. My, you can trust what I say. This, this week, it's just been a reminder to me about that. Um, as I uh, am, am studying just kind of personally in Scripture, I, I, I'm seeing the disciples needing um, to have Jesus kind of step in their face and say, you can trust me. It's okay. Like, and I know you don't understand. I know you don't get it. I know you don't quite comprehend everything that's happening around you. I know you quite don't comprehend all my parables, We've been studying the parables uh, through Mark chapter 4 and 5 the last couple weeks, a small group. There's been times where, honestly, the disciples don't get it. The crowd doesn't get it. And if we were there, we wouldn't get it either. But our Heavenly Father is trying to teach us something through what Jesus is, is teaching. And um, in John 10, uh, and, 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 and I'm just going to go through a couple portions of Scripture um, just to share with you. Today's going to be kind of unplugged. Um, there's no real notes on the screen. There's just, I kind of just want to spend uh, a moment as we're about to celebrate communion. Um, just kind of want to pour into scripture this morning. In John 10, um, Jesus is talking about how he's the good shepherd. In verse three, it says, um, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads, um, leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. Why? For they know his voice. The sheep know his voice. There's something to be said for what Jesus, why would Jesus include that? Why is Jesus using this example of sheep and a shepherd? And why would, why would it matter that they know his voice or don't know his voice? Because when he calls, um, you hear it. You hear it and you know what it's like to hear Jesus kind of speaking to you. You, 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 he, you feel the impression in your heart and in your soul. You know that Jesus is speaking to you in that moment. So, so he goes on in verse 11. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep. He flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees. Why? Because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Such good news for us today. Lays down his life for the sheep. Because we got to remind ourselves from time to time um, through communion and through other sacraments that Jesus, his work on the cross was enough for us. And it wasn't because someone took his life. It's because he willingly laid it down. He willingly chose to suffer on this cross. He's going to speak more about self-sacrifice in verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Do you imagine anyone knows what he's talking about? (laughs) He's living. He's, I mean, he's done miracles and all this is exciting. It's fun to watch. 
Um, it creates good conversation. But do you think anyone really understands what he's saying when I lay it down my life? Okay, so it's metaphorical. Like you're just going to like, you're not going to get the last bite of dessert, right? So that's what laying down your life for the sheep. Like you're, you're not going to be first in line. You're not going to like, oh, you wash our feet. Like that's, but no, physically, not even metaphorically, physically, he's going to lay down his life for the sheep. He's going to lay it down on purpose, proactively, his decision. No one's going to take it from him. And then he's going to take it back three days later when he rises again three days later. This charge uh, I've received from my father. This is John 10. And I, and I imagine uh, as his disciples were hearing this and they know that he is a master and part of discipleship is not just learning, but it's following in his example. Following is this is the pursuit of Christianity. This is the day-to-day pursuit of, of what it looks like to be a Christ follower. To be a disciple of Jesus is to follow in his example. So yes, it's to show love. Yes, it's to be Christ-like and all that stuff. But in every moment, there is an opportunity for surrender. We read on the screen just a moment about what Jesus said in Mark chapter 8. Uh, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? He said all of this before he was crucified. <laughs> This is what's so crazy for me. He said all, like, there, there was no, there was no, um, there was no archetype for someone laying down their life like this. There was no, there was no, I, they, they didn't think this was going to happen. We look back in 20, hindsight being 2020, we have the, the, the totality of scripture right there for us, but they didn't understand what he was saying. I do think in a sense that because discipleship is about following, that they probably knew that they had to follow in that example down the road. And these disciples would, in a very physical, literal way, lay down their life. That's the scary thing. I mean, what we have in, in America is not anything close to these first century Christians who would eventually be crucified upside down, would be boiled in a vat of hot oil, would be, would be you know, tortured, per persecuted along with Christ. And they understood, um, finally, eventually, what it meant. Um, prophets from from years, years, years before Jesus was even born, would say it this way, Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. And he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds were healed. And then he's going to use that sheep illustration. All we like sheep have gone astray. You know what it's like to go astray? To kind of go your own path? To kind of trust yourself? We've gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That verse reminds me of the, the, the times that Jesus would say, if a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one, go astray, one goes astray, one finds its way away from the flock, 
Wouldn't any good shepherd go and find that one? And I'm thinking, first of all, I'm not a shepherd. I'm not a farmer. I'm not good at these. I'm kind of an indoor pet, right? Um, I, don't, I don't know what it's like to be a shepherd. But there's a sense in which I don't know that I would know that the one went missing all that, all that quickly, right? They're sheep. They're all kind of just like, they're in a herd. One wanders off. I mean, if you know that the one wandered off, wouldn't you go get it? Yeah, like absolutely. They, and that's God's heart for us. Like and God is a pursuing God, when we try to go our own path, when we, try to, when we try to stray, when we try to trust ourselves, when we try to isolate ourselves away from the flock, God pursues us and he gently brings us back. Not like a dad who says, I wish you'd listen. I wish you'd be patient. I wish you'd trust me. I wish, you know, like the, I, when I hear God's voice, <laughs> I hear this like, I, I understand. Just come back. Trust me. Trust me, that's, that's, the, that's the thing that keeps pulling me back is his gentle, loving, like this perfect loving voice. That is, the, that is the God that sent his son, that gave his son to pay the price for our sin on the cross. That's what we're celebrating today. Doesn't seem like much to celebrate, but he did take his life back up three days later. But we do remember everything that he earned for us. He was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. <laughs> we see pictures in Exodus of the Israelites being rescued from slavery and right, right before they're about to walk out of the walls of Egypt, there's a 10th plague that shows back up and, and it's a brutal one. I mean, it's not, fro frogs are annoying, right? Locusts are annoying, they're awful. Like that would be an awful lifestyle, but but God is going to kill every firstborn in the land of Egypt. And before he does that, he's going to speak through the prophets and he's going to say, I need you to slaughter each household, slaughter a lamb, and I need you to spread that blood over your, your household. And when I come to kill the firstborns, I am going to pass over and I'm going to rescue the sons and the daughters of God. And that is a picture in Exodus and throughout the whole Bible, in Isaiah and the prophets, all the way, we don't even understand it when he comes. It's, it's a picture of Jesus saying, whoever would save his life will lose it. And, the, and, 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 and maybe the disciples, maybe because they were expecting some guy to show up in armor and in, and in muscles and in, in like handsome and, and with using all the etiquette that, that the politicians and the kings and the, and the warriors would use to command their troops, yet a man would come and lay down his life to win our souls. And that's, that's, um, that's, that's our God. That's our God. That's the, it's honestly the God that has me speechless this morning. It has had me speechless the last couple of days as I've been just reading, pouring over these scriptures. Because it can kind of appear when you're reading the accounts in, um, when you're reading the accounts in, in, in the crucifixion, whether it's through the Gospels. I, I was reading in John this week, and, and you see the, the picture of the soldiers taunting Jesus and saying, if you're truly the king of the Jews, if you're the son of God, then why don't you come down? Why don't you call all your angels? And you can imagine that if, if these soldiers, if these men, if these onlookers were were actually thinking that this were the Son of God, that they would not mock Jesus the way they did. They didn't believe he had the power to come down off the cross. And the thing that stuck out to me as I was reading this was, 
the demonstration of power could have been to come down off the cross. It could have been to call down angels. It could have been to annihilate everything within a three-mile radius that, that taunted. I mean, it could have been a, a Passover kind of deal. Like, you stuck with me, you stuck with me, you stuck with me. Everything else is struck dead. Like, he could have done that, and we would have expected that to happen. Why? Because that's probably what we would do, right? That's what I would do. I would want to stand up before the crowd and say, no, the Lord is like, like Elijah with the, the calling the, down the fire on the, on the battling the prophets of Baal. And Elijah's like, oh, where's your God? Where's your God? You know, Jesus is completely different. He demonstrates his power, not in coming down off the cross, but in willingly being crucified to pay the price for us and to show us that amount of love. That is power. Yet he spoke not. We're going to celebrate communion, which is a time for us to examine ourselves. It's a time for us to realign our hearts with God's. I don't know where you've been this week. I don't know what you've been wrestling with, what, you, what battles you've been facing. But when we come to the table, we see this picture of, of Jesus in the, in the bread, his, his flesh being represented by bread and, and his blood being represented by the juice here. He says to, uh, uh, Paul would write to, actually to the Corinthians. He would say, uh, I received from the Lord what also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, check this out, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We are, we are preaching to our own souls. We are looking in the mirror and we're saying, Jesus is supreme. We're proclaiming his death and what his death proclaims over us is salvation. It's the salvation of our souls. So this is something that believers do. This is not something that is, is done by all people because this is a celebration of Christ followers that we take to remember. So we take this, um, it's a bit of a mirror to self-examine in the ways that we have fallen, in the ways that we have needed forgiveness. That's everyone in this room, for the record. That's not just the people, like if you're thinking, uh, well, you know, some people probably really, no, like we all, we all like sheep have gone astray. So we all need this. This is a time for celebration. This is a time that's very serious. This is one of the very few sacraments that we've been given, right? God ordained marriage. He's going to ordain baptism for those who proclaim to the masses that they are following Jesus, that they are laying down their life. And we've been given the Lord's Supper to remember the sacrifice that he did. And, and we do this um, this week to kind of punctuate uh, this focus that we've had this summer of, of learning what it likes to be all in, looks like to be all in in our relationship with God. And so this is, this is all in because this represents surrender. This represents laying down your life. This represents following the example that Christ has given us.